reinforcements is to seek the lost are you God raise your hand say me guess what each one of you God has put you in a context of relationships maybe it's your job maybe it's at school maybe it's in your neighborhood maybe it's where you go to the doctors all of us have a context of people guess what God has you there so that he has a missionary there you are God's missionary right into that group of people In today's message, Pastor Daniel is going to show us through the parables of Jesus exactly how passionate God is about finding his lost children. He seeks after them continually. And today, you're going to find that you are a part of his master plan for bringing the lost children home again. He placed you here in the circles you're in just so that he could reach out through you. You'll never look at a trip to the doctor's office the same way again. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Luke chapter 15 as he continues his message, Find What is Lost. Every single human being, no matter where they are in their spiritual journey, they've been created by God and they are image bearers of God. Now, what's amazing is, is not only someone who is completely gone from the Lord, but even those of us who have come home and put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are still image bearers of God, although that image is flawed. Like God's image in your life and in my life has been warped by sin, but the image is there. See, the paradox, if I can use that word of humanity, is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in the image and likeness of God, and then we're also fatally flawed. And when you're born again, you acknowledge your fatal flaw and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you still realize that God's image that he placed upon you by being a human and God's intentions for humanity, that we all bear that image, but a little broken. And the only difference between somebody who's lost and somebody who's found is the fact that somebody who's found said yes to Jesus. And Jesus said, you were lost. Like, yeah, I realize that now. That's the only difference. And of course, the presence of the spirit transforming our life from within, that's a huge game changer. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you realize that the presence of the Holy Spirit only reminds you how jacked up you are, even though you believe in Jesus. Isn't it true? That's how I always know. When someone comes to me like, man, Pastor David, I'm so convicted by this thing. I'm like, praise God. They always freak out when I say that. What do you mean praise God? I just said I'm convicted. I'm like, I know. That's proof you're God's child. Because if you weren't convicted... You wouldn't be God's kid because whom God loves, he disciplines. And he disciplines you by the conviction of the spirit. And I always remind people, I'm like, you realize that there are millions of people who do the exact thing. They don't even think twice about it. They don't think it's bad. They think it's wrong. You know it's wrong. That's how you know you're God's kid. Why? Because God loves us. And see, the problem with things that are lost is they're just in the wrong spot. See, the reason, according to the Bible, somebody is lost is because they're away from Jesus. And when you're away from Jesus, then you have no internal checking mechanism to keep you from getting farther lost. But no matter how far gone you are, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you instantly become found again, and then God begins to transform you by the work of his spirit by convicting you of all these things. Now, when you first come to to faith in Jesus, sometimes God's just dealing with the big things, like these huge things, these huge life issues. 
He's not even dealing with the more subtle heart issues. He's got to get the big things out of the way to deal with the more subtle things. It's kind of like if you go to the doctor and you're all mangled up, the doctor will deal with the most critical thing first. It's like you go there, maybe you have a car accident or something, and your insides are all, they're going to keep you alive first, and then they're going to deal with the plastic surgery on your nose that's crooked now later. Because one's essential, and if you get through all this stuff, then we can deal with this other thing. Same thing with the way Jesus works. When you first come to know Jesus, he deals with huge lifestyle problems that are destructive to you in this society. And then, after he works away all those other things, now he's like, okay, now I'm going to get into this little, this very nuanced work of things in your heart. See, Jesus had no problem being in the midst of these folks. And, and listen, John 3, 16 and 17, these classic verses explain this to us. You guys all know this, you've heard this a million times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I think verse 17 is the perfect explanation of verse 16. Verse says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, you hear what he said? Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And then it goes on, Jesus says, that the problem is that the world's condemned already. So a world that is lost from God is already condemned by nature of the very way that it works. But Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to save because the world was already condemned without him. Now here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to get this right. Because if you think that the job of the church is to condemn everyone, guess what? You are not part of the church. Because God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. It's already condemned. It doesn't need the condemnation. It is experiencing the birth pangs of that condemnation every single moment of its existence. God sent Jesus to save the world. And guess what? You can't save what you won't get close to. Jesus loves the lost. I love when people say, oh, you know, crossroads. Like, you guys will accept anybody there. I'm like, anyone's allowed to come to crossroads. I'm here to tell you, listen, because I know there's some of you right now, you're like, I don't know if I should be here. You absolutely should be here. Because you know what this church is? This church is full of all sorts of people who got all sorts of issues. Every single one of us. Every person in here, their life is messy in all different ways. But here's the thing. Jesus loving the lost and being with them doesn't mean he partook of all the things they partook of. He was willing to be present, but not be the same as. Here's what I want to tell you. Jesus loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like that. And I'm here to tell you, everyone's allowed to come to Crossroads. But if you come to Crossroads, nobody is going to be told, just stay just as you are. Because Jesus wants to transform all of us, me included. Amen. So we all show up and Jesus receives us, and then Jesus starts to get to work on us. And all we say is we just want to keep simply responding to Jesus. We want Jesus to transform whatever he wants to do. So someone, I met someone recently, they said, well, you know, you know this is who I am and where I've been and what, what I do and all this stuff. Am I allowed to be at Crossroads? I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, but if you want Crossroads to be the kind of church that says you just keep doing that, no big deal, you're going to be really disappointed with this. Because I'm like, and it's not just this one thing, it's everything. Jesus says, I want to do a work in your life. I want to transform your life. So I hope that you feel uncomfortable sometimes at Crossroads. I hope that as you hear the word of God, you're like, ooh. 
Because that is what God does to his kids to change us. He makes us uncomfortable in the status quo and he gives us a new vision. See, Jesus loved, the Pharisees couldn't stand it. But Jesus did not allow the Pharisees' issues to change the ministry he was doing. Now, I think that's important because for some of you, God has called you to things and you've gotten some censure from the religious folks. Don't let it change. Listen, if someone's bringing you the scriptures and saying, well, this is what the scriptures say and maybe you got this wrong, that's a different thing. But the Pharisees, they didn't have the heart of God, although they were deeply religious. And they didn't allow the critique of the critiquers to change the ministry that he was doing. So then he starts to tell these two parables. Now, there's these two stories. There's the parable of the lost sheep, and then there's the parable of the lost coin. Now, I'm going to take them together because they actually fit together. They actually essentially say the same thing, but from two different angles. You notice the first one, it's the man having a hundred sheep, right? And then the second one, it's the woman who has a lost coin. Now, so notice it's, uh, it's really gender neutral here. You have men and women who are involved in this. Now, it is interesting. The man is working outside of the home and the woman is working inside of the home, which is the way the culture functioned in that day. Okay, so in each area of responsibility, there is a situation where something is lost. Now, I'll tell it to you this way, that Jesus seeks, finds, and rejoices. That's the theme of those, that Jesus seeks, he finds, and he rejoices. How do I get it? Look what it says in verse 4. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and saying, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which is lost. Now you go down to verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. So you see this, when something gets lost, first you seek after it, second you find it, and third you rejoice at what has been found. Does that make sense? And that's exactly how Jesus deals with lost people. Which I I'm one of them. I was a lost person. Now I've been found. If you're here today and you're like, I'm a follower of Jesus, guess what? There was a time when you were lost. And along that way, Jesus found you. Right? Of course, Jesus told Zacchaeus in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now here's the thing. In order to find something that's lost, first you have to seek after it. Like with Lynn with her keys and her phone. And now what's amazing is, is Lynn didn't just do it herself. She called me in. She wanted some reinforcements, right? Do you know who Jesus' reinforcements is to seek the lost are? You. Go ahead, raise your hand. Say me. Guess what? Each one of you. God has put you in a context of relationships. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's where you go to the doctor's. All of us have a context of people. Guess what? God has you there so that he has a missionary there. You are God's missionary right into that group of people. Right? He is seeking the lost. 
in both of these analogies, first you have a shepherd. He's got a hundred sheep. One strays, he leaves the 99 together in the wilderness. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't care about the 99. He realizes that because they're together, there's strength. Why? Because when Jesus seeks someone, he finds them, he puts them into the church where there is safety within the people of God. Here's what I want to tell you. I realize that church is messy and I realize it because I get to see the church from the inside. When we invite people to come on our staff, I'm like, are you ready to get into the bowels of the local church? I say that because it's like, everyone's like, ew. I'm like, I use that language for a reason. It's kind of hot and smelly in here sometimes. Because there's a lot of people. And people are people, right? And I'm like, are you really sure you want to be this close to what this all looks like? I want people to realize what it is. And what does it look like? But here's the thing. It's like when people are together, there's some safety. And even though it's messy, there's safety to it. Man, the number of times, like I've been going hard and someone be like, hey, Pastor Daniel, you look super tired. Can I pray for you? Is there any way I can help you? Number of times, and it's because I'm within the church and people see me week in and week out when I'm having a bad day and like, how are you doing? And like, because I know them well enough to bear my heart, I'm like, man, I'm having a tough day right now. Can you pray for me? And then people follow up with you because you're connected. But the biggest problem today is for many of us, we believe in Jesus, but we're kind of half out. And when you start straying, nobody realizes it because nobody knows who you are. You don't have any relationships. You're, you're not building those relationships. And then you wonder why you get all the way out there. But it's common. But the thing is, I always tell people, I can't legislate relationships here at Crossroads. But you can. People say, it's so easy to connect with people at Crossroads. It's so hard to connect with people. What's the difference? Still Crossroads. Like, are you going to connect or not? But when you connect, and I'll tell you as someone who's all the way in the bowels of crossroads relationally, there's nothing better than having people around you who know you, who care about you. People who, who they hear you, you're having a conversation and they're like, hey, what you said, that made me a little nervous for these three reasons. I love that. Why? Because there's safety. See, the shepherd doesn't not care about the 99. He knows that because they're together, they're safe. But the one sheep out alone is unsafe, lost. Easy prey. And so he leaves and he seeks after that one sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he's so happy, he puts it on his shoulders. Because he knows it's been, it's been off, it's been scared. Puts it on his shoulder, bring it home, rejoice with me. Same thing, the lost coin. Now, what's interesting is I have these notes in my Bible. And on this parable of the lost coin, it says that this coin, it's a, a drachma, which was about one day's wages. And it says, a valuable coin often worn in a 10-piece garland by a married woman. Fascinating. That, I mean, you can imagine like, you know, this 10 days wages, a week and a, you know, a week and a half of wages. And they would wear them. But one gets lost. She turns the light on, the lamp on. She sweeps everything. She searches until she finds it. And then when she finds it, she gets excited. Now, here's the thing. In you getting, coming to know Jesus, Jesus has sought you out. When he finds you, he puts you on his shoulders and he rejoices. Now, I think that's the thing that's really powerful because really what's going on for the Pharisees is they think it's wrong that Jesus is hanging out, seeking the lost. When they're around, they think it's bad that Jesus hangs out with them and they're definitely not rejoicing. So the heart of the Pharisees gets this thing all screwed up because they don't get the heart of God. And here's the thing. One of the 
greatest ways Satan hinders the people of God is by giving you a pharisaical spirit rather than the heart of God. See, when the lost gets found, God rejoices. When you came to know Jesus, guess what? Everybody rejoiced. Actually, I can even say it this way. Heaven rejoices when we repent. Heaven rejoices when we repent. Because you take these stories and then Jesus now brings each one of these parables down to this important takeaway. Notice verse 7. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Then in verse 10, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's why I can say to you that heaven rejoices when we repent. See, because what's going on here? The parable of the sheep the parable of the coin, they're both pictures in Jesus' mind of what happens when the lost gets found. And the lost gets found in the language of the Bible through this vehicle that we call repentance. Now, repentance is what happens when you simply respond to Jesus. Okay? We say it here all the time, right? We want to simply, repentance is the biblical word for simply responding to Jesus. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart, which leads to a change of direction. So when someone's lost and somebody who knows where they're going finds them, instead of going whatever way you're going, you change, I'm going to follow that person, right? The change of mind leads to a change of heart, which means you go in a different direction. Right? And that's what happens when someone comes to know Jesus. Like, listen, right now, there are some of you, you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus before. And listen, my aim is that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, you might say, well, why would that be your aim? Because listen, I was lost, and the only way I know anything is because of Jesus. Because Jesus knows the way. He's God in the flesh. He lived perfectly. He always did those things that pleased his father, so much so that the religious leaders of his day, they killed him. Jesus was so radical in his commitment to following the Father that they killed him because of it. And he said, look, no matter where you come from, no matter where you are, no matter how lost you are, I'll receive you to myself. Right? And when God opened my eyes to this, I'm like, man, I'll follow Jesus wherever he says to go. And I'll be honest with you, Jesus hasn't gotten anything wrong yet. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I don't quite understand where we are. And sometimes I don't necessarily enjoy the environment. But with the hindsight, that's 2020. I see that God's wisdom is way higher than mine. Way greater than mine. See, when you turn to Jesus, when you receive his forgiveness, his grace, right? He conforms your thoughts to the mind of Christ. He changes your heart, that your heart is now inclined to what Jesus is doing. And it changes the direction of your life. Maybe you're still doing, see, and some of you are like, well, it didn't change the direction. No, you might be doing the same things, but you're doing it for totally different reasons, which is a change of direction. See, when that happens, it says that all of heaven rejoices. So even though the religious people don't rejoice, heaven does. Notice, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. See, really what Jesus is saying here, because there's really, there's none who are truly righteous, 
But there are those who seem to have no gross, open, outward sins. And that's what the Pharisees were. The Pharisees got everything so right that they were wrong. Like the Pharisees were so together that they totally missed the heart of God. And that's why, I mean, this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verses 29 to 32, another one of these events that happened. Then Levi, speaking of Matthew, who wrote Matthew's gospel, gave him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and their Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus is saying, listen, because you guys think you're all together, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the ones who know that they need a doctor. And here's what I want to tell you. See, Jesus is saying, heaven rejoices more over one lost person who comes back than one person who's self-righteous, who's, all, who's there together. Now, I bring all this up to tell it to you this way. If heaven rejoices when we repent... If Jesus loves the lost, and if Jesus' plan is to seek, find, and when he finds, rejoices, then brothers and sisters, this is why Crossroads is the way that we are. And it's not a new thing. This is who we've always been. Because guess what? We believe that the job of the people of God is to worship God and to seek people who are outside of Christ and seek them with Jesus until they are found. And when they get found, we party. That's what we do. We rejoice. Because what happens in heaven? All the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. And now here's the thing. The reason we do this is because we see it as the heart of God. And the reason so many churches are not growing and they're struggling is because they don't have the heart of Jesus for the lost. How many times do you go to a church? Because you're not like them, you're not welcome. You come in with the wrong Bible translation. You're not welcome because we didn't baptize you the right way. You're not welcome because you have long hair. (gasps) You're not welcome. You didn't wear a suit today. You're not welcome. Right? And now it's one thing if everyone's a Christian and you're like, okay, I get this is your your thing and I can deal with your thing if that's But listen, guess what? The number of Christians in America is shrinking every single year because we're not birthing new ones at the rate that Jesus is taking home those who've been around for a while. But know it's amazing. That's not the case here. And here's why. Because Jesus loves the lost. And Jesus seeks the lost. And when he finds the lost, he rejoices. And not only does he rejoice, but all of heaven rejoices. And guess what? We believe that God has drawn us together in this generation, in this day and age, to seek the lost. In order to find something that is lost, first you need to seek after it. God is continually seeking after the lost people in this world. In today's message, Pastor Daniel is going to remind you that you were once lost and God sought after you. And when you were found, he rejoiced over you. Now, you've been placed in this world to continue the mission. God is asking you to go out and seek the lost and bring them home to him. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy 
And the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share why bad things happen in this world. It's not because God is not in control, and it's certainly not because He doesn't care. You're going to find out that God is busy planting good seeds in the world, but the enemy is busy planting evil. When life gets overwhelming and the sorrow weighs you down, turn to Jesus. Bring your questions to Him. He is the source of true wisdom. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Legends. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.